0: This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold.
1: Watching this mom begin to endure one of the worst days of her life, that she was about to lose her son as if it was a death as if he was never born from her body, as if he never belonged to her. And as now a mother of two, just to mourn that loss with her changed something in how I viewed foster care and even adoption. And now the good news is, again, God is in the business of restoration. And so even though this original plan and design He had for my oldest son and his mom to be together, that was disrupted right, by ultimately sin. And yet God takes that story and He makes it whole and He brings us into His family and we are His forever family now and we did adopt Him. And we've even navigated a really unique and beautiful relationship with His biological mother at this time.
2: From Christianity Today, you're listening to Adopting Hope, a podcast
3: about adoptive, foster, and spiritual mothering. I'm Joyce koo Dowrable. And I'm Sasha Parker. We're both moms, and we're both adoptive moms. And on each episode of our show, you'll hear from a mom and sometimes a dad about their journey in adoption and foster care. Our hope is that this podcast provides hope and encouragement
2: as you hear these stories, whether you're an adoptive, foster, or spiritual mother yourself, an adoptee, or someone who just wants to encourage and love adoptive and foster
3: parents. These stories are all windows into the gospel, the story of a God who adopts us and loves us with a redeeming love, and whose love empowers and compels us to extend that love through the unique joys and challenges that come from adoption and foster care. Thanks for tuning in. We pray this encourages you as you listen. And even when our hearts are breaking, even when our souls are shaken, oh, oh oh.
2: We've got this. Oh oh oh. I'm really excited about this week's episode because we get to talk to a mother and daughter pair, Lisa Trevigin and Charlie Trevigin Sherry, who are doing such important work in helping prevent children from entering foster care. Their journey with foster care began several decades ago when Lisa and her husband became foster parents. That made a deep impact on their daughter, Charlie. Charlie's testimony is inspiring. She went from being a rebel as a teenager to, in her words, being a rebel with a cause. She has a heart for birth moms and founded Every Mother's Advocate to walk alongside and empower these brave women to overcome challenging life circumstances. It's an incredible ministry, and I can't wait for you to hear about it.
0: Thank you for having us on the show today. It's great to be here.
2: Oh, we're so thankful. (laughs) First, start off by telling us a little about how you started fostering Lisa. Did you already have Charlie at that point and biological children and then begin to foster?
0: Our journey began when my three oldest children were teenagers. So I think they were 13, 14, and 16. My husband and I were having conversations as most parents of teenagers do about how are we Discipling them, how is this going? Charlie was probably my uh, rebel child, and so we really wanted to challenge them in their faith and in our faith too, in our journey, our walk with God. And so we talked about adopting, and the more we talked about it, somehow fostering came into the conversation. My husband will tell you it was it was all him, <laughs> because I was a little nervous about the whole idea of fostering and. Loving this little person and handing them back, and uh, but we decided to to go for it. We really fell in love with the moms as much as the kids.
2: Tell us about that because I think sometimes we don't, in fostering, you don't really hear a lot about that relationship with the birth mother. But how did that occur for you in that, in developing those relationships with the birth mothers?
0: Yeah, so you know, it just each situation is different, but the very first foster child that we had the mom actually said the first time I met her she was probably 17 and um, she needed a ride to the bus stop after she had done her um, parent child um, time together you know they have certain times set aside for them to spend time with their children and as I was driving her to the bus station she said could I come and stay with you too And so I just realized at that moment, so many of these moms were just, you know, the broken little girl that we, you know, are having in our homes as foster children, that these were foster children too, at some point, Mm -hmm. I just, just fell in love with, you know, wanting to help them as much as I could, as much as they wanted to have their children back, they struggled, Mm -hmm. whether it was a lot of them with, with drugs and then other situations as well. So They just didn't have the support that they needed in order to get their children back. And so our sixth, seventh child in, probably six years down the road, we had a little one that came to us. And three years later, they terminated parental rights. So that was really the first of the different children that I had that had been in that situation. All the others had an aunt or a father, somebody who, grandmother, who would step up. So she ended up three years later being coming adoptable Mm. and as her foster parents and really the only parents she'd ever known since we got her at six months old, we adopted her. Wow.
2: So you didn't set out
0: to adopt. You just set out to foster. We just set out to foster Mm. adoption. Was not, I mean, it was something we discussed before we fostered, mm-hmm. but by the time, you know, six, seven years later, we really were kind of thinking our journey was coming to an end, but God had a different plan mm. because this little one stayed. So now she's almost 13 and it's just been a great journey. Mm. And fostering
2: isn't for everybody. You know, I think there's a sense of like, oh, it's going to be so hard. You bond with the child and then the child goes back to, you know, like you said, an aunt or a grandmother, sometimes the birth mom, that that is really hard to let go um,
0: after you've Mm -hmm. already bonded. So what was your experience like? I think that was what I feared the most was the letting go Mm -hmm. Um, because we made a real effort to make a relationship, to develop a relationship with the mother's. You know, when we would give them, when they would, you know, get their children back, we continued that relationship. You know, at least for those that first year. So mm-hmm. uh, I babysat for moms and different things, mm-hmm. uh, aunts, grandmas. You know, just kind of making that transition easier. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't this hard line bird talk to see this child again. Um, But interestingly, the one mother I was unable to develop a relationship with for a variety of reasons was the little girl that I adopted. And so she and I do not have a relationship, uh, even though we tried. It just Mm -hmm. it wasn't it it was just a unique situation. So Mm -hmm. you just have to trust God that, you know, with each situation, whether or not that, you know, bio mother is someone that, you know, you can develop a relationship with or not, Mm -hmm. that. You know, he'll just kind of lead you and guide you as you go through it. But yeah, I mean, fostering is not easy. I mean, Mm -hmm. adopting is not easy. But God never called us to an easy life, right? Mm -hmm. He called us to do difficult things. That's right. right. I really wanted to do something in my Mm -hmm. with my faith that was hard and not just this easy. Hey, yeah, Mm -hmm. you know, we all go to nice schools and we all have you know nice cars and we go to church Mm -hmm. and our lives don't really look that much different. Mm-hmm. Than the others, so mm-hmm. that's kind of our journey in this. Yeah. But no, if anybody were to ask, is it easy? No, it's so
3: beautiful to hear your heart for the birth parents. Often, when we begin this journey, it, you know, we we start it because we're interested in adding to our family. Or, but it sounds like from the very beginning, you and your family, everybody had a heart for. A, the birth mom not just for the children um and you mentioned the first woman that came into your life was really a child not much older she was 17 and you had a 16 14 year old and 13 year old in the home and yeah I mean she really was just a child not much older than the children that you had and so does she come and stay with you guys
0: no that was like 20 years ago okay I mean- So, yeah, that was a long time ago. So, no, I do not have a relationship with her um, at this point, no. But at the time? At the time, you know, it's hard when you're a foster parent um, to know how how much you can get involved because, you know, you're kind of the advocate for the child, not really the advocate for the mom. So there's that fine line Mm -hmm. between wanting to help and having to, you know, keep that distance for the safety of the child. So that's kind of a a journey that you have to take with each situation. And I know foster moms that have totally um, developed a relationship Mm. with mom. And to this day, you know, five, 10 years later, they still go to birthday parties Mm -hmm. and are, you know, a part of their lives. So Mm -hmm. each, just each one is unique and you just kind of have to Mm -hmm. Trust God as you navigate it.
2: Now, Charlie, I am wondering how all of this affected you. I mean, Mm -hmm. you were a teenager at this point and having all of these foster children come in your home. Mm -hmm. And how did that shape your perspective kind of growing Mm -hmm. up? And that I'm sure has played a role in how you started Every Mother's Advocate in this ministry that we'll talk about a little bit more later. How did this affect you as you were a teenager?
1: you know, it had a very, very formative impact on my life. And it left an obviously deep impression. Believe it or not, I was the rebel kid in the family. (laughs) So I was at the height of my rebellion in high school when my parents decided to start fostering. But in in the midst of all that rebellion, it was it was the concept of being a rebel with a cause. (laughs) And I, I liked the the tough side of foster care. I I liked the adrenaline rush that it gave us. That was always very interesting to me in bringing in kids and working with families who don't look like us, who don't have the same backgrounds as us. And it also was a massive perspective shift for me, walking away from these petty high school, you know, drama and encounters and then going home and, and seeing and being up close and personal, very real needs of people that live a few miles away from where I live.
0: Mm. And
1: that really began to shift my perspective as a 15, 16, you know, 17-year-old girl. Mm -hmm. Loved the kids, loved watching Mm -hmm. my parents minister to the biological families. Was it hard for us to say goodbye to the children? Yeah, of course, Mm but it purpose to your pain mm-hmm. when you really put in the hard spiritual labor of of ultimately this restorative mission it, it was very enlightening for me it activated something in my spirit and mm-hmm. in my soul that like it was awoken mm-hmm. and I actually ended up dropping out of high school mm-hmm. um not out of not really out of rebellion but more out of an effort to get my life together,
0: Mm.
1: wanting to put that separation from certain relationships and just behaviors. And my parents are like, absolutely supportive of that, but you're not going to sleep in every day for the next (laughs) for your senior year. You got to go do something. Mm. So I actually went on a missions trip to South Africa for about five months and worked in schools and orphanages there. But Mm. I really believe that the experience in my home in our family through foster care and adoption, eventually adoption drove me to the slums of Africa because wow. it, it ignited something in me that wanted more, that wanted to be a part of something greater than myself. And as a troubled teen, I mean, yeah. all you can think, it's a consumer culture, right? Yes. All we think about is is myself and me, me, me. And then you, you experience the pain and, and the realities of others and find your purpose in that so that was really what led me over to to south africa and it was in south africa that i rededicated my life to Mm. the lord and met god and saw the holy spirit in the lives of other people felt the holy spirit in the life of myself at Mm. 17 and it was that very Mm. Saul to paul conversion for me and i stepped foot back on american soil and was never the same so it made a massive impression in my life
2: that's amazing you know, you 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 said there's purpose to your pain, and then mm-hmm.
1: it kind of sets
2: you. I don't know if you would call it a, a calling to start mm-hmm. this ministry. Tell us about how, like those experiences, then set you kind of on this path to to really ministering to um, birth moms.
1: Yeah. I've had several very transformative experiences, but one in particular that happened when I was 17 in South Africa was this little baby I had met placed in my arms. Baby was a few days old and the mom had abandoned this baby. The baby was found in the trash and Mm. the community had retrieved the baby and was now raising the baby as I'm holding this baby God activated empathy and compassion for the mm. mom. Mm. Because behind the eyes of that small infant, I saw a young mm. teen, again, what you were saying earlier, who doesn't look that different from myself, mm-hmm. who lacked the support, who lacked the financial means, who lacked the community, and out of fear, you know, just mm. imagining after a long night of labor and sheer mm. fear in the slums of Africa... Um placing this baby in the closest garbage trash pile she could find and fleeing. It was then that I really felt the call to walk alongside, to advocate alongside moms, because mm. had someone had done that earlier, mm. had someone had created and provided that early intervention in this mom's life and Granted, this is in South Africa and the community and lifestyle is completely different than here in the U.S., but could the outcome have been different? Could mm-hmm. this child still have their mother? Yeah. Um, and so it was that experience that got me on. Then I went down this road at 17 wanting to start a maternity home in Africa. And I mm. came back at 17 and had this big idea. And everyone that I sought counsel from was like, that's cute. You need to go get an education. <laughs> <laughs> So I did end up going um to Liberty University up in Virginia mm-hmm. and didn't want to wait mm. to start this mission. And I actually started Every Mother's Advocate. We go by Ema, and Ema actually means mother in Hebrew, fun wow. fact. Yeah, so we started Ema and just went to the poorest communities and neighborhoods we could find and started knocking on doors. And mm launched a little support group mentoring program for teen moms and it was student led and we had a blast doing it. And I have car seats in the back of my car and we bring some of the kids and moms back to campus with us. And that's amazing. um, You're still a
2: college student doing this. Um,
1: Oh yeah. We're like 19, 20 years old and Mm. just had a lot of fun doing it. And, And at the same time, what God revealed to me in that season was, um, I'm sure you've all heard of the book When Helping Hurts, yes. and one of the best draws from that is is the difference between monetary poverty and relational poverty. Mm. And here, moms experience both, mm. especially single moms who live below the federal poverty line. And so, just to create some level of positive community for these moms, which was very peer to peer at that point. Mm-hmm. Yes, I mean, I still have. Amazing relationships with the very first moms I ever mentored and, and welcomed into our lives. And and it was it was life-changing. So that was really how Ema got started mm. um, was student-led ministry, influenced by some experiences I've had through internships and in Africa. But you realize that level of poverty, maybe not to the same extreme, but that level of either relational or monetary poverty does exist right here in the U S and it's not far from where every one of us lives. And Mm -hmm. that, that's when I knew that I knew that God was calling me to this work Mm -hmm. in, in the inner cities with mothers in crisis. that's what I would be doing with my life. So it was a very clear calling for me.
3: The gift that you've offered these women is you have entered in at their level. You know, you haven't entered in where you're kind of above them, but you've entered in wanting relationship with them. And just in your story, we see how these relationships have changed your life. They've given Mm -hmm. you purpose. They've given you encouragement. You've seen the Lord's hand at work and, So it's so cool to see just that trust that you've built. Actually, I was looking at your website and one of the quotes that you had on there from When Helping Hurts, Steve Corbett, a path Mm -hmm. forward is found not through providing resources to the poor, but by walking with them in humble relationships. I mean, it sounds like that's exactly what you have done since, you know, you were a little girl welcoming these kids into your home with your parents and your siblings and so beautiful mm-hmm. so yeah. beautiful so what about your other siblings have any of them entered into this kind of ministry
1: so i so i actually my husband and i became foster parents a few years ago my oldest son who's now 5 is adopted out of foster care and that's a whole story in and of itself but my siblings we all live a mile away from each other My one sister is a graphic designer, so she does a lot of work for the ministry. Mm -hmm. My other sister is just graduating college, doing social media, marketing type stuff. She helps us with the ministry. So Mm -hmm. they have found their pulse in this space of foster care, adoption, prevention. I really through supporting this, this ministry and this organization that God has led us to, and then also in our experiences of fostering, they are all bought in and they were a huge support mm-hmm. to us and just making sure that we had the support and community that we needed. But they really felt like even though we were the ones fostering, it was their ministry too. And so none of them are, none of them are in full-time ministry outside of just supporting mm-hmm. what the work that we're doing and totally bought in. But, um, yeah, I don't know, mom, if you have anything to add to that.
0: Yeah, I'd love for you to just share with them the story of Jacob and how that kind of took Ema into another genre from where you were when mm-hmm. you were starting the support groups.
1: Mm-hmm. So when my husband and I decided to foster, we didn't have kids of our own at that time. We got a really unique experience of fostering two brothers. They had different dads. So the oldest ended up having no legal father on the case. They couldn't identify who the father was. And the other one ended up being reunified with his father's side of the family. So we got to experience both adoption and reunification in foster care. Mm. And we've always said we see ourselves fostering again in the future. But the reason we would foster again in the future was because of those experiences we had with the second brother who was reunified how mm. beautiful mm. and redemptive and restorative that experience was but at the same and at the same time walking through adoption with my oldest we all my husband and I always say adoption the process of adoption felt like a celebration in the face of defeat mm. and so what we thought this season was going to be like yes we won right or like mm. Finally, permanency actually really broke and devastated our hearts Mm. to watch now his biological mother walk out this season of losing her parental rights to her son. And in the state of court, the termination of a mother's parental rights is weighed as heavily as the death penalty. Mm. And that always struck me because. That morning, being a witness in that case, mm. as the foster parent, obviously, um, watching this mom and begin to endure one of the worst days of her life, mm. that she was about to lose her son mm. as if it was a death, as if he was never born from her body, mm. as if he never belonged to her. Mm-hmm. And as now a mother of two, just to mourn that loss with her changed something in how I viewed her foster care and even adoption. Mm-hmm. And now the good news is, again, God is in the business of restoration. And so even though this original plan and design he had for my oldest son and his mom to be together, that was disrupted, right? By ultimately yeah. sin. Yeah. And yet God takes that story and he makes it whole and he brings us into his family and we are his forever family now. And We did adopt him And we've even navigated a really unique and beautiful relationship with his biological mother at this time, Mm. trying to navigate that wisely and, and trying to be sensitive to the details around that. But it was that is a restorative and beautiful thing on the side of adoption. But so important that we see adoption really as a last resort Mm -hmm. and that all other preventative and and interventions are made possible for families to stay together to honor God's original design for Mm. family. So that was really where when EMA went from an inner city ministry to teen moms, to mothers in crisis, to still maintaining that same status, but with a very specific focus on women who are at risk of losing their children and women who have children in foster care, and need that reunification readiness support. So all of a sudden now, our goals and our entire focus shifted from this. Is still our demographic. We're yeah. still working with moms in crisis, but we're working with moms in crisis in effort to preserve families mm-hmm. and to keep mother-child units together mm-hmm. by by leveraging her skill sets and giving her a seat at the table yeah. and, and embodying her in positive community. So Mm -hmm. all of our work we say at EMA is socioeconomic. So it's social support. These women lack social Mm -hmm. support. And being a mom, middle class, married, two Mm -hmm. kids, have a house, both working good jobs. Raising kids is hard Mm -hmm. with all of those measures in place. Mm -hmm. Now strip away all those levels of support down to Mm -hmm. a car, down to transportation, it is hard to raise these kids, and it's it's time mm-hmm. as the faith based community really, really, really rallies around these women that God has chosen to parent mm-hmm. these children, mm-hmm. giving them resources and giving them educational tools and providing for them opportunities that without positive community they they otherwise may never have. So that's really where we exhaust most of our efforts at EMA. Mm-hmm.
2: I loved just reading about the kind of holistic and comprehensive programs that you have at EMA, um, and I want you to tell our listeners a little bit about that because it really is kind of wrap around care for these mothers.
1: That's that's our buzzwords right there. It's very holistic and wrap around and continued care. So every mother that comes through our program, we, we are licensed through the state of Florida. That's where we are operating out of right now. So most of our referrals actually come from the Department of Children and Families. Um, They're referred to our program, even being a faith-based program, to go through for parenting and life coaching. And that is something that we provide to every mother that comes through. She's assigned an individual one-on-one FEMA advocate who is the person that's going to walk out this season of her life with her. But that person is also trained and educated in healthy parenting, healthy lifestyle, very much of a life coach, a parent coach, a financial coach. And this person is assigned to this mom to walk out that season of her life. So she is very intricately involved. It's incredibly relational. Yes. What
2: we talked about earlier, I think addressing that Mm -hmm. relational poverty and having someone just be there and walk with you through that can make such a difference when you are in that dark place, you know, and you don't have anyone just to have someone.
1: Yep, absolutely. And especially for the moms that we serve that have children in foster care and are working their case plans and trying their best to be reunified. We go to court with them and we're Mm -hmm. not legal counsel. We're not a legal presence, but we are literally just sitting shoulder to shoulder with her to one, testify to her progress to a judge mm-hmm. is a huge deal, and then to also talk through what does mom need, and you only can really discern what she needs if you have a functioning relationship with her, mm-hmm. um, and if you do know how she got to this place that she's in, because poverty. Ninety-nine percent of the moms we serve, when they are when they come into our program, live below the federal poverty line. So you're working with very, on average, I believe recently a study was done over the course of eight years, on average, families involved in child welfare make between $700 and $1,400 a month. Mm. And that's with kids. Mm. So this is just bare minimum, barely making it. Mm. So how being able to work with business partners in our local community mm. that hire women in our program that we can really identify their employable skills, that we can work with them on job searching, on job training, helping her navigate that that economic side where she can have more economic mobility in order to sustain a safe and stable environment Mm -hmm. for her family. But that, that relationship piece is massive because we're building a program that's fully trusted by the mom and fully trusted by the state and fully trusted by the church. And that's really difficult to do, but somehow we're doing it and just seeing phenomenal outcomes and results from those programs that we've developed for the mom.
2: Yeah. Tell me about some of the outcomes and I'd love for you to share a success story or just a story of a woman whose life was changed going through the program.
1: Yeah. Um, It's so always so hard to find one story as you see so many and you experience so many. But uh, one even just recently that stuck out to me, uh, especially in light of coronavirus and COVID-19, uh, was a mom. She had already lost two children and she was pregnant. And when she was referred to our program, she was living in her car, broken down car, parked behind a restaurant. Mm. And they, it was obvious that if she didn't find stable housing and if she didn't, complete some of her services and find employment that they were going to remove this baby as soon as he was born. So we, we work with her, she was newly pregnant. So we worked with her for about six months. We do find her in affordable housing. We even had a donor contribute to half of her rent for the first six months, um, so that she could save the other remaining, uh, income that she was working for. So she could save it and just have it put away um she was working she completed parenting she completed her anger management i mean she crossed all mm. the t's dotted all the i's checked all the boxes um and and in that experience with this mom the local church was engaged and activated and mm. one church threw her a baby shower and another church was the one that organized the the affordable housing opportunity for her and another church was the one that did the grant so that she could saved some money. And then we were obviously doing the advocacy piece and the one-on-one, but, um, it was cool to see multiple, like parachurch church buy mm-hmm. into this one life. And the baby was born, baby was removed from the hospital, more so out of protocol because she already had kids in care. And two days later we had an emergency, what they call shelter hearing. And it was so cool right now, all the shelter hearings are on zoom because of mm-hmm. COVID. Um, but, everyone showed up that was involved in this mom's life. And it was everyone from EMAs, everyone from those supporting churches. And so this mom goes into this court hearing and now has this rally, you know, Mm. of support. Mm. And the judges and the attorneys are their breath taken away because such a rarity to see this, you know, very typical inner city, low income, Mm. single mom, 22 years old. And now she's got this entire circle of support Mm. and the judge, because of that and all of the measures she had taken and all of the support we had put in place, overturned the removal and reunified this little baby boy back to her. And she's doing good. It's an uphill battle, certainly. Mm, And, um, She's going to keep fighting the long fight, and uh, she's got more work to do. But that's one story that we get to experience often at EMA.
2: That is beautiful. And what a picture of the what the church can do in stepping alongside and being a community of support for these moms. Right. And mm-hmm. I, I just, I feel like sometimes the church doesn't know what to do. You know, but hearing the story like this, it's like, wow, there's so much we can do.
1: Yes, absolutely.
3: Are there areas of need in your ministry? Maybe some, you know, spaces that are harder to get people to volunteer in or just some gaps that you have?
1: Yeah. I mean, always Mm -hmm. when you're working in ministry and nonprofit, I think volunteering is always difficult. And then on, on the leadership side of ministry, you want the right people, mm-hmm. right? And you want to be selective and you want people who want to do this.
2: I love that you are partnering with volunteers from the local church, churches, and yeah. have partnerships with churches. Cause it's really I feel like a call in scripture to care for vulnerable children and families and and to raise that awareness among his mm-hmm. people. And mm-hmm. to hopefully expand this, in, I know you're based in South Florida, but to expand this so that, you know, maybe in other cities, there, there are other nonprofits doing something similar, but that you have a model that works mm-hmm. um, at that's EMA right. and that you can maybe export that model so that this can be spread. Yes,
1: that's exactly right. The Bible says we are called to plant seeds. It is mm-hmm. God who waters and grows. And so... There's certainly a spiritual element there, too, of of training our volunteers of of this kingdom calling. Mm-hmm. It's justice more than it's social justice. I think those two things are different. But justice is God restoring all things to Him. Mm. And so if we can be a vessel, you know, to that mm. calling, that's enough. Our obedience is enough. And so that's really what we spend a lot mm. of our training talking about.
2: In our podcast, a theme is hope as you're talking and and you're saying sometimes you don't see the results you do in in some cases and you surely in your outcomes, you've seen a lot of lives transformed, Mm -hmm. but some of those lives aren't. And so how do you see hope in the midst Mm -hmm. of some cases where, you know, that there isn't that change? or instill Mm -hmm. hope? You know, you're trying to instill hope in these women and and instill a vision of hope for your volunteers.
1: I think that's a great question, especially in an organization and in a ministry and a work that you leave the office discouraged more days than you leave encouraged. Mm. I've heard my dad say that before, who is also very engulfed in ministry and church world. So that's the hard reality is when you deal with very broken people, which we all are, it is hard to see the silver lining and the layers of hope woven throughout. And sometimes it's just these little glimmers of hope mm-hmm. um, or little glist, glists of hope. But ultimately, it's that spiritual element that is is unique for EMA and in most organizations that work in child welfare, they're missing that faith-based element, uh, especially in the work that we do with the moms. And we have that faith-based element. And the fact that we pull all of our volunteer base from the local church, and this vision is powered by the local church, ultimately. We know that we are called to something higher and greater and the, the hope, it again, is that obedience. So I remember when my our second foster son was reunified and, of course, you mourn that loss in a way of, of this child was in your home for a year and now he's not. And I remember going to God and just being, you know, broken in front of him and hearing him so softly and gently say, well done. Mm -hmm. That was enough.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And sometimes we think we need to do more Mm -hmm. to to be successful. And and sometimes less is more. And we need to do less, just better. (laughs) That was enough. Mm -hmm. And I had to be okay with that. Mm -hmm. And I had to trust that God would had a greater story yes. that we only see in mm. part, yes, and in eternity we will see in full. Louis Giglio once said, No matter how committed your crew or compelling the vision, you have to recast your mission every day. Mm. And so, that is what we have to do at EMA to, to instill hope in our people, in our volunteers, in our leadership, mm-hmm. in our board. We have to recast this mission and this vision every day. And we have to preach that to ourselves that there's a very spiritual element. Our mm-hmm. battle is not against mm-hmm. flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. And that is the only source of hope mm-hmm. is Jesus Christ. In yes. our lives, in their lives, mm-hmm. in the in every child's life, in every mother's life, in every father's life that mm-hmm. we may or may not serve. That is the only well that we can draw from mm-hmm. that will not run dry.
3: And I'm just sitting here thinking, Lisa, you must be so proud of your daughter. And I think of you just stepping out, you and your husband, stepping out in faith so many years ago when your kids weren't fully grown and it's it's you're it's kind of a scary time when, you know, teenagers might, you know, as Charlie shared, she was going through just a difficult period, but to see you guys step out in faith, with hope, trusting that, okay, we don't know what we're doing, but the Lord is calling us to do this, and you were brave. And then to just see those seeds that were planted just in full bloom through all that Charlie has shared is just, it's so encouraging to me. Um, As we stepped out, um, you know, during a time where we had some teenagers, and it wasn't like, Everything was perfect and great, and now we're being called to do this thing. It was like, there's a lot of brokenness around. And um, so it's just so encouraging just to see just the Lord's work in Charlie and your family and just, wow, what an amazing ministry that was created and you had no
0: idea, Lisa. Yeah. You're just stepping out in no. faith, you know, just to foster if you here. Look at all uh, of this. If, that's cool. if you had told me that my rebel fourteen-year-old daughter I would one day work for in ministry, I would have laughed because mm. <laughs> <laughs> be encouraged. Yes, <laughs> for seriously, because I have a thirteen-year-old now who's not an easy child, mm. and I I look at Charlie and go, Lord, you've mm. got a plan, yes. and so it. Sometimes when we have these rebel children, we think, oh, "What? How, I don't know what to do, how mm-hmm. to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, when to say yes, when to say no." But God has a plan for each of their lives, yes. and it sometimes takes a rebel to do co- crazy things for God. Yes, and um, so it's just a journey and not an easy one. But you know, mm-hmm. like we said in the beginning, God doesn't call us to do easy things, but mm-hmm. we hold on to hope. Mm -hmm. And, um, just trust that God has a plan for each child that he places in our lives. And we're just stewarding that as best we can. And Mm -hmm. so I love the, um, I said, I'm going to be listening to this podcast as a mother of an adopted child, (laughs) because I need this encouragement Mm -hmm. to remind myself that God has got his hands Um, around each one of these and so we just have to walk it out
2: Yes, well thank you so much for sharing your story and just how um, God birthed this vision Yes, thank
1: you so much Thank you guys for having us It's such an honor to share and um, just to support the work that you guys are doing and the message that you're putting out there It is so important for families to know So thank you, thank Mm -hmm. you for having us
3: Thank you. you.
1: Thank you. All right. Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye-bye.
3: If you're enjoying our show, please take a moment and help us spread the word. Share about it on social media or leave us a rating and review on iTunes. It really helps people find the show.
2: Adopting Hope is a production of Christianity Today. It was produced by Mike Cosper, Joyce Dalrymple, and Sasha Parker. It was edited and mixed by Alex Carter. Our theme
3: song, We've Got This Hope, was by Ellie Holcomb. We'll be back next week with another story. Thanks for listening.